Hi, I'm Steve Clemens, and I have a question. The U.S. says it wants to fight corruption and promote democracy worldwide, but should it start at home? Let's get to the bottom line. Today, we continue the discussion we started last week on the Summit for Democracy. The White House is hosting leaders from more than 100 countries to the virtual conference with three main goals. According to the Biden administration, fighting corruption, promoting human rights, and standing up against authoritarianism. But with all the dark money and the questions surrounding the elections process and polarization in American politics, shouldn't President Joe Biden be more worried about the future of democracy right here at home? Today, I'm talking to Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who's been a leading voice on fighting corruption domestically and internationally. Senator Whitehouse chairs the Senate Caucus on International Narcotics Control. Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, I, I want to kind of give our viewers in, an understanding of the underbelly of a lot of what we see on the surface of governments and democracy. What are the big factors you've been looking at that are corrosive, that are corrosive here at home, that are corrosive internationally, that you worry about? Well, corruption is the big factor. Corruption is money. And then the question is, what do you do with the money? Because if you're a kleptocrat or an international criminal, you're one bigger, badder kleptocrat or one bigger, badder international criminal away from having everything you stole stolen. So the dirty secret here is that the corruption and the money that supports so much of the evil in the world then comes and finds home in our rule of law countries. And it's in our interests, I believe, very, very strongly to clean that mess up and no longer be aiding and abetting these, uh, what George Bush would have called evildoers. Well, so like in the Summit for Democracy, this is one of the pillars that, we're, we're, that the president has outlined of concern. And, and I know that, that when this summit comes up, there are going to be people who are assembled. It's going to be one of the discussion points. Yep. How do you expect it to play out? Are you going to be participating? Do you think, do you think this issue, which has become so endemic, uh, both here as a problem uh, in the United States, but also internationally. I and mean, you should see the reactions to our show last week of people thinking, Where, what is the United States for getting off on talking about democracy when it is supporting all of these illicit leaders around the world and it's turning a blind eye to a lot of this corruption? Yeah, well, we intend to be a part of that conversation and um, are working on exactly how right now. Um, but I think what's important is that this is not just an opportunity to fulminate that corruption is a bad thing and scold countries that we think are corrupt. We've got to actually look at the techniques of corruption, the techniques of hidden money done by these corrupt forces, and in particular, look at ourselves and how we, how the rule of law countries in America specifically, are enabling that corruption and enabling the hiding of the proceeds of that corruption. We have some cleaning up to do ourselves. Now, I occasionally turn on C-SPAN, Senator, and C-SPAN uh, for our audience is a channel. It's devoted to covering Congress. You can turn it on and you can see Senator Whitehouse <laughs> you know, or about other members of Congress up there. But look, I've been, I've been watching you for years talk about shadow players in the global political economy, you know, who operate in, in a, you know, dark way and looking at dark money. Can you help bring that to life for our people? Can you give us examples beyond the kind of big brand name corruption? Can you go sure. into it into to some detail and give us you know, something tangible that people may be able to relate to? Yeah, as people have looked at this, usually from a money laundering perspective, 
Um, they have found, for instance, child trafficking organizations based in Europe owning farms in the United States. They found buildings in New York City, known towers um, in downtown Manhattan owned by Iranians, um, Iranians who were sanctioned by us. Um, and what you see is that the boundary between this dark economy that supports corruption, supports criminality, and our economy is very porous. And it's very much in the interest of the bad guys to get their loot into the protection of our rule of law. And they got to do so secretly. So uh, anonymity is the key to all of this. And being able to penetrate that anonymity and find out who's really behind the Shell Corporation, who's really the nominal, uh, the real owner of, of a, a property nominally owned by some fake entity. Those are the things that we need to protect our national security at this point. Are we going the right direction, Senator? I was just reading about a decision, for instance, by the Federal Elections Commission that allows foreign governments to weigh in on ballot initiatives or foreign entities to weigh in on ballot yeah. initiatives. You kind of look at this question of you know, anonymity in politics and the, the, the ruling we had years ago in the Supreme Court on Citizens United. I mean, it looks like, and then, I mean, just to be honest, people look at the last administration and the opaque relationships that the president allegedly had with various potential Russian players, for instance, yep. oligarchs, et cetera. And when you kind of look at that and ask yourself, are, are there any positive steps coming forward other than the Summit for Democracy where they're going to talk about it? I mean, are you hopeful or are you, are you pessimistic? We just won in Congress a long battle to give the Treasury's FinCEN, its financial investigative group, access to what are called the beneficial owners, the real owners, behind American Shell corporations. That was a long fight, and the folks who make money off of catering to these people um, rounded up a lot of the usual D.C. players to fight us. But at the end of the day, this was a bipartisan win. It passed into law in the last national defense bill, and the Treasury is writing those regs right now. Mm. So that should be a big step back from the United States becoming the new Cayman Islands, right. where crooks everywhere can go to hide their resources. Is it a complete step? No. We need to see the regulations and see what else needs to be done. But that's been a big step in the right direction, while most of our dark money drift has been in the wrong direction. You know, one of the topics we've looked at on this show before are things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the role that they play either constructively in helping give a new architecture to how we track stuff, versus what we see as, you know, cyber attacks and, and ransom attacks, you know, sometimes done in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. To what degree are these emerging, you know, non-federal-backed, uh, 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 whether national-backed currencies coming on part of the problem as you see it? They're kind of the new aspect of it, and it's probably the one we understand the least. But anything that confers anonymity on a bad actor is a danger. And so when a bad actor is able to use a currency that allows them to avoid money laundering investigations, that's not a good thing for either uh, our public safety or our national security. 
Do you think from an intelligence perspective or a financial intelligence perspective, when we see players out there, Russian oligarchs or Vladimir Putin himself, who's reportedly the richest person in the world yep. uh, of non-transparent I'm assets. sure he earned it legitimately. Yeah, very, very legitimate. He's a very high-paid uh, chief executive. <laughs> but I, I guess the question is, do we have the awareness of where these assets are? Why isn't the U.S. government playing more of a role in disclosing what it knows about corruption abroad, if for no other reason to create pressures abroad so that those citizens in other countries actually, because we're waiting on, you know, leaks of papers like in the yeah. Panama Papers or others, or you know, for this to papers. happen. And, yeah. you're, and, and so your story comes into, into very full 3D vision when you look at some of these leaked papers. But I assume that somewhere in the U.S. government, we know a lot of this. Why are we so reticent? about disclosing what we know about these Well, other first players. of all, I wouldn't be so sure that we know a lot about mm -hmm. it. Um, and I think a lot of what we do know about it may very well come through sources that we don't want to reveal, because there's no obvious mm -hmm. way to go to the Cayman Islands or to go to some other place that uh, hides foreign loot very effectively and try to penetrate through, in some cases, multiple screens. Mm -hmm of fake corporate layering that prevent you from knowing who the real owner is of that uh, asset. So it's not as easy as you'd think, and therefore the way in is often somebody who knows something, who is telling you that, as opposed to being able to go and, and investigate, and you don't want to blow the source. So um, I don't think we put anywhere near enough attention on that aspect of the problem to begin with, which is one of the reasons I'm excited about this summit. But I also think that we've got limits that we need to deal with by forcing a new international consensus that hiding this dark economy that is the, you know, there to benefit kleptocrats and criminals should be as unacceptable as child labor, say. One of the things that worried me years back about 9-11 and the emergence of groups like al-Qaeda yep. was their... A desire to embed themselves into the governments abroad because if you control a state you can control a lot of issues that people don't don't understand yep. and a lot of people have alleged that that has happened with narco transnational narco yep. operations so the international drug cartels have become as powerful or more powerful you know than some Shadow countries governments in their you country. see the struggles in certain parts of Mexico and you know, in other uh, Central American governments in kind of dealing with this are, is America derelict in helping those governments fight those, those, those situations? Are we in any way not doing what we should be doing uh, on that front? Because once they do control governments, then they have a lot more ability and tools to penetrate this country. Yep. I think we have been um, inadequate in addressing this. The way I give this context is to go back to Samuel Huntington's famous argument about a clash of civilizations mm. between two different worlds that we were coming into. Only he posited that our clash of civilizations was based on cultural, religious, ethnic divisions. I don't see that. I see the clash of civilizations between rule of law civilization and the kleptocracy and criminal countries of the world. And if you look at what's happened bad to America in the last couple of decades, pretty much all of it has come out of non-rule of law land. And we have not looked adequately at that as a national security problem and addressed it at the level that it needs to be addressed. It's a little bit like having a, um, some sort of 
you know, bacillus or plague molecule, uh, when it's around, it's really dangerous, and you've got to cure it and fix it. And you can do that with sunlight. You can do it. It's not, the fix isn't that hard. We just haven't paid enough attention to it. And the battle between rule of law civilization and its adversary in this contest is one that we desperately need to win, and we're not winning it right now. And so how do you fix it? What's the strategic leap or the fix for that? Because what you're talking about is also a regular topic on this show, which is the corrosion here at home, the corrosion of trust in institutions, our leaders, yep. and the just serious doubt that, you know, if you're in a neighborhood and you've got a Republican neighbor and you happen to be a Democrat, your, you, your folks are going to think gravity operates differently. So I, I'd be interested when you see rule of law not work and you feel people somehow demeaned and left behind in that. I mean, do you worry about that here? Yeah. And I think the way you solve it is first you've got to see this as a strategic priority. Hmm. And it very often is kind of the little puppy that's tailing along behind everything else. And the foreign policy national security establishment look at, oh, Russia on the border of Ukraine, such a crisis. Oh, what's China going to do about Taiwan? Such a crisis. And things like this that don't have a a, a kind of moment to them, but are structural and are very important to get right because they will avoid but that's those whack moments later. That's, huh? that's whack-a-mole, right? That's, that's reacting to that's something reacting. that's happening. That's why you want to that's go after this whole institution. Right? That, yeah. so, so the institution that makes kleptocrats and foreign criminals able to hide their money behind rule of law protections is an institution that we need to undo. And if we do undo it, we'll have a much safer and better planet. How literate do you think the Biden national security team is on this subject? I know you're out there pounding on this every yeah. day, and I don't mean to critique you unfairly, but there aren't a lot of other people with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse pounding every day on this. I'm sure you do have allies. Be nice to hear who they are. But are you sensing that President Biden and his team are taking this as seriously as you are? Yeah, I think that this administration is taking this problem more seriously than any previous administration has. This conference, I think, is an expression of that, and particularly if it's successful at raising the profile of this issue of kleptocracy and hidden money and our role in all of it, then I think um, they can really step up an entirely new level and, and be very, very effective. Um, I wouldn't, since you've mentioned other senators, want to go without mentioning Ben Cardin. Mm who's been so effective in uh, sanctions, the Magnitsky, Magnitsky sanctions particularly, and the sanctions regime. And, and, and not to interrupt, but it def, you know, describe that what the Magnitsky, uh, Magnitsky sanctions are for our audience. So Russia found a guy they didn't like, and they basically deprived, imprisoned him and deprived him of health care, and he died. Um, as a result, they were able to steal his company. He'd been a big investor in Russia. And other people came in and, and took over his company. And that whole operation was so rotten mm. that a regime of international sanctions was developed to find the Russians who'd been involved in that scheme mm. and deny them access to banks and other institutions in the free world. So that regime makes a very good model for dealing with other bad behavior. Trade sanctions and Magnitsky sanctions can put real pressure on countries that are providing shelter for this dark economy to knock it off and to come clean. And um, Cardin has been a real hero, I think, in that 
respect. Yeah, and Bill Browder, who was one of Magnitsky's yeah, partners, has that. been, you know, was was working on this. Now, in my understanding, is that the Magnitsky sanction regime is now applied to other governments as well. Yeah. So not just Russia, but yeah. you know, more broadly. And, and we even got so, it expanded to the Russian scheme to uh, do doping mm -hmm. in the Olympics and other international uh, athletic contests. So, as a tool. We've seen how useful it is, and we're expanding its use, and it's there, ready to be applied to people who indulge the uh, dark money kleptocracy regimes. Well, let me just ask you this question, Home. I want to show you this, this chart. We're going to put this chart up um, that shows how, you know, whether most Americans are going to trust the 2024 election. Now, this is slightly a different topic, but I want to get into it because it talks a little bit about confidence in the system that we have. And, and, and we show that, you know, Democrats have 82 percent. Uh, trust in the 2024 election coming up. Republicans are 33 percent. This is an election that hasn't happened, right? It has not happened. But the level of trust in the institution is so divided between these two parties. And I know in my, in my gut that part of it has to do with doubt in institutions and a feeling like the system is unfair to some, uh, fair to others. I, or, or maybe you have other insights into what's going on. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with propaganda. Propaganda is an age-old technique. The idea that in America we're not vulnerable to propaganda is not justified by uh, facts or rationality. Mm. And I think um, people are being very heavily propagandized about this. And we happen to know that a lot of this propaganda actually originates overseas. We've actually caught the Russians sending propaganda through U.S. communications vectors and into our population. So we know that it is happening. And unfortunately, we are not effective at um, defending our firewalls against mm. that stuff because the very same channels that allow Russia to propagandize the public are the channels that allow, for instance, the American fossil fuel industry mm. to propagandize the public. And so to indulge our domestic propagandizers and let them hide, we've kept these channels in place that let anybody hide. And that's just a really stupid choice for a country to make. Do you think, given the tools you have in the U.S. Senate, and you're, you know, on committees, and you, you had a narcotics caucus, that the, you know, we're seeing subpoena power play out right now, and I'm just wondering how strong a tool or weak a tool it is to use that to try to create transparency on these rule of law and kind of democracy solvency questions. Do you need more tools to do your job as a senator to get into these, to get into these dark places? Um, I think we probably do. There's a very real danger that the new Supreme Court majority mm. is going to... The Republican have, majority. The Republican yeah. majority is going to create, it already has created, and, and expand dark money rights that inhibit Congress's ability to do the investigations that the Constitution allows us, mm. in fact, requires us uh, to do. So... We have some hazards. One of them is where this court goes on this question. It's the court that dark money built. The dark money behind the Federalist Society ran the turnstile through which the last three judges came. So the idea that it's now turning to defend dark money is kind of an ominous portent, and it suggests... I mean, those are strong words, ominous portent. It is an ominous yeah. portent, yeah. because I think, in a, you know... Somebody said many years ago that uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Right. And the more the court and the more our system establishes safe havens from sunlight, channels where dark money and 
anonymity can do their worst, right. the worse off we're going to be. Senator, to wrap up, I want to read a couple of uh, comments that came in after our last show, because I think it's important we listen to how the world is perceiving this summit for democracy. In reaction to the show, Tor Eric Bakke writes, uh, they should be pointing out major flaws in American democracy, money in politics, yep. lobbying, gerrymandering, yep. voter suppression, yep. low participation in elections, the Electoral College, the filibuster, counter-majoritarian institutions like the Senate and the Supreme Court, erosion of democratic norms, etc. Sounds like a Shelton White House list to me, but we'll get to that bit. in a moment. And the second one is from Sajib Anas. It says, let's just think for a moment how an Iranian would see this, or Cubans, or Venezuelans, Bolivians, or just the majority of popular opinion around Latin America, Asia, Africa, or even Europe. The popular notion would be that the United States has been the biggest obstacle in the path of even thinking about a democratic, justice-based nation abroad. So there's doubt in this yeah. summit for democracy that's coming yeah. up. And I'd just love to kind of get your picture. You know, if you were advising Joe Biden on how to keep this from being a big belly flop, and failing, what would be the key to turning around the doubts that these people have about America's role in convening this? I think you've got to start the way we did in Glasgow on climate change with a little humility, but with really showing up in force. And then I think you've got to make it real. Hmm. We have lost our standing to give the rest of the world lectures. We have to actually fix the problem and show that we're fixing it within our own country as well as demanding that everybody else does. And there are two big networks that need to be disrupted. Mm. One is the network of foreign countries that shelter the international dark economy for the criminals and for the kleptocrats, and we can do that. And the second, which is not unrelated, is the dark money network within the United States that has made a lot of those things that your writer uh, called us out for happen. There's a group of front groups uh, with a, funded by a couple of billionaires who are responsible for making a great deal of that happen. And we need to make sure the American public hears that story and understands how they've been had. Just real quickly, I remember on, on shows like The Godfather uh, with Marlon Brando seeing those Senate hearings you know, on organized crime uh, in America. And they may have actually happened in real life in the past, but do we need something like that again? Do we need to have Sheldon Whitehouse or other senators actually convening Senate hearings of that old order, calling and subpoenaing people on organized crime transnationally? I think it would be helpful for the American public to see that behind a lot of what they don't like about this country is a set of groups that are essentially phony groups, that are all interrelated and often have overlapping boards and directors and same offices and all that kind of stuff. It's like a covert operation. And behind that is a bunch of people who are funding what is essentially a covert intelligence operation against their own country. That's a story worth telling. We have not told it at all well. Well, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat of Rhode Island and chair of the Senate's Narcotics Caucus, really appreciate you sharing with us these other contours of the Summit for Democracy that's coming up. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So what's the bottom line? America's version of democracy has some great aspects that have inspired others, but there's so much that is not inspirational. Senator Whitehouse is right to focus on shadow organizations, corruption, the drug trade and the people behind them. These are real centers of power that have real influence, and they eat away at our democratic institutions. Non-transparent money and power are harming the U.S. at home and undermining order and justice in the international system. 
On top of that, sometimes Washington supports those leaders abroad who are propped up by this corruption. For a summit of democracy to mean anything, these issues, this issue of hypocrisy of supporting those leaders who are anti-democratic, anti-human rights, all have to be dealt with. Otherwise, this summit is a lot of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And that's the bottom line.